The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. This is the, it's actually the first episode or first month. We've had three news roundup episodes in that same month. Unless you're a patron, I think it may have technically counted in March. And of course, I'm your host, Tom, and I am joined by Dan. And if this is, uh, if we're counting the non-news roundup, this is the first month with four Dan episodes, I think so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's been a Dan heavy month uh, in Tom's real life and in the podcast. It's been a overwhelmingly Dan heavy month, (laughs) I have to say. But, you know, it's fine. Over time, we just slowly get into our own routines and like less and less about we don't have to have the same things at the same time and go running at the same time or anything. Uh, Actually, speaking of that. Here in Peoria, not a lot of people listening to the quarantine anymore, I got to say. No, not really. Uh, I we we walked our dogs today. There were a lot of people out today. Yeah, there were some weird people. I swear, baptizing someone in the fountain near my house. That's probably not the greatest place to baptize someone, but it seems cleaner than most park fountains. Yeah, but it's still a park fountain. That's true. And then when we we went to another kind of like open park area with like rolling hills and stuff, and there were people everywhere. And again, there's nothing wrong with going outside, but we saw several groups of friends just hanging. Yeah, they were just kind of done with it. I think uh, one group of people was talking about how their bachelor party went. So I guess what? Uh, I guess a group, I mean, bachelorette party went. Okay. So I guess uh, they decided to go ahead with a bachelorette party. Yeah, this is something we've been, me and you have been talking about with each other, Dan. It's like, I know people are like, oh, should we extend the the quarantine? Should we, should we open up now? Should we do a soft open up? And I just keep saying, it doesn't matter what you want to do. People are going to go outside in under two weeks. So you guys have two weeks left to make sure you have enough masks, test kits, whatever you need to then transition into the, if you're not an A, I guess, was it at risk group, you can start going outside and stuff. Now, I don't know that that means you should just open up concerts and movie theaters. Probably not, but people are just going to start going places. And I swear I've seen some restaurants just open randomly some days. Yeah, that seems to be happening. I'm hoping uh, things start opening up relatively soon uh, because... I have uh, two weddings this summer that I'm supposed to be going to, and I would like to be able to go to them. But yeah, and and I think I think people need to also consider the fact that this is look uh, things because we're inside closer to each other more, moving you know because the I guess because the sun's not killing viruses on the ground as often in the winter. Viruses tend to spread more in the winter, so this is most likely going to hit us again in the fall. I mean. If that's going to happen, shouldn't we be doing soft openings all summer to build up herd immunity? Because we're not getting a vaccine for a year. Most likely. I'm optimistic, but most likely. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I saw three vaccines were in phase two trials, but phase two oh. is don't I don't know what percentage go to the population for trials, but I wouldn't bet on a phase two trial. But I think what we're saying, though, is it's like so either we can kill our economy, which, look, it's I'm not I'm not making any argument here about what's the better choice. I'm just saying you are deciding to kill the economy and people are going to go outside anyway. So I would say maybe it should be soft openings as soon as possible. So we build up some level of herd immunity before fall hits. Yeah, well, so that's just my and, opinion. I mean, and I don't know if I would bet or not that there's going to be a second wave in the fall. I mean, it could happen. It could not happen. We'll see. I swear I saw uh, a study come out in New York where they were like 20% of the people they tested already had it. This may have been here, and, and it had to have been here, with how contagious it is since December, that way, way, way more people have gotten it than anyone realizes. And that as we get more test kits, we're just going to find out like a third of us have already gotten it, maybe. I wouldn't Depending bet on, on a city. I wouldn't bet on uh, some cities. I'm sure that's true, but we'll see. I mean, I'm not saying every, a third of people in Montana did. Well, maybe a third of people. <laughs> but yeah, that would be great to hear that more people got it than we initially thought. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, this is exclusively a PC hardware and gaming podcast, so um, I think we should continue with that exclusive conversation. Nils writes in and he says, fair warning, this is a fairly pedantic correction considering I'm sure almost everyone knew what you meant. All right, well, we'll decide if we hate you soon. The numbers for DDR that are advertised, well known, aren't exact, aren't actually the clock rates of DIMMs. That's the mega transfer rate, which is actually double the clock rate and the bandwidth in megabytes per second and the MTS rate times eight. Yeah, I know. It's just oftentimes the bits per second rate they show coincides with the megahertz. Not always, but I, I mean, I think where he's talking about our DDR5 and DDR4 yeah, yeah. conversations, and I do know that they specifically said over 8,000 megahertz DDR5 is what's expected in a few years. Yeah, I mean... I, I understand that's not what they were showing on the slide, but... Yeah. No, I, I get what he's saying, and I know you... Uh, the clock is technically half of what they whatever is advertised. So, like, what DDR4, 2400, uh, the clock rate is... Bus clock rate is technically uh, 1200. Uh, and I don't know if that's pedantic to say. I think a no, lot... No, it's of, not pedantic. I it's think uh, I've heard that a lot in conversations is uh, people kind of just say the clock rate is just that number you see after DDR4 or DDR3. Yeah. But uh, it's not pedantic, and we, we, I've decided that we don't hate you. Or I don't hate you. Do you hate him, Nils Dan? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we'll see. Watch yourself, counselor. Um, but anyways, let's move on to the stories. Didn't have a ton of corrections, actually, this week. Hell yeah. Um, so I guess let's, yeah, let's just get to... Story number one. Asus prepares an odd combination for its new ZenBook, a 4700U 8-core 8-thread and an MX350 from NVIDIA. And I'm quoting from Notebook Check. Fancy a GeForce MX350 with a Ryzen 7 4700U? Well, Asus thinks people will. Spotted by at Rogamer on 3D Mark, the combination will be coming in a new ZenBook 14 called the, oh boy, UX434IQ. The device will also feature 16 gigabytes of LPDDR4X at a blisteringly fast 4266 megahertz and a one terabyte Samsung SSD. This is not the first time that we've seen references to this, though, in December. But anyways, I'm skipping ahead here a bit. 
Anyway, the inclusion of an entry-level GPU on a Renware laptop seems strange in our opinion. We expect that the RX Vega 8 will be an improvement over its predecessor, meaning that it should compete with entry-level GPUs like the GeForce MX350. Additionally, choosing to include a dedicated GPU undoubtedly increased costs, potentially making the ZenBook 14 a less attractive option. Incidentally, the UX43 4iQ will probably run hotter and louder under load than the Ryzen 7 4700U equipped in the Swift 3 will. So yeah, what is, so yeah, this is an interesting, I mean, I think that's about as high as you'd want to go, including a low-end graphics card, but I mean, I would think this is a better combo with like a 1650. I don't um, understand, really. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier before we were recording this, that the inclusion of an MX350 is very odd because what that's going to be a little more powerful than the eight CUs that we you get with the uh, Renoir, but the, the Renoir is integrated, but not substantial. The one thing I would say is when I looked at Renoir benchmarks on uh, hardware and box, for instance, they, the, the results were kind of all over a place. There were some games where Renoir was only like 30% behind a 1650 Max Q. And then there were some where the 1650 wins by like 60%. So I think on average, the MX350 will be stronger than a 4900HS by like 5% or so. But that's, you know, that's a 25-watt graphics card. I highly doubt the 15-watt version is. And the 4700U is probably 20% weaker than the 4900U's graphics. Yeah. So I guess this gives it 25% more. And Blokes actually pointed out in the Discord, okay, but now there's less thermal density. They'll be able to boost that 4700U probably higher while the graphics card's in usage. Um, I mean, I guess that's So it might true. be a net 30% performance gain in games. Yeah, because the 4700U, it's what's it's six cores, 12 threads, right? Or am I? No, it's eight cores, eight threads. Yeah, sorry. So I guess their uh, higher clock rate might be achievable with this uh, setup, but... I, I feel like it might add, uh, I don't know how much to the cost of the unit, but... Yeah, because they have to have a portion for the heatsink, and it's a bigger heatsink than the MX250. Yeah. You know? It's the same package, but the die itself is bigger, so they do have to put in a real heatsink. It'll still be a cheap one, but yeah, I don't know. And then that, and then there's money to have the motherboard include this, and remember, these are not like, you know, AM4 motherboards. <laughs> they have to custom design these and put in the tracing to communicate between everything on it. Yeah, so I think a better pairing is, well, either pair the Renoir with nothing or put it with like a 1650 or, or like 16 Ti Max-Q or something like that. Yeah, but I thought I'd point that out. I mean, maybe we'll see, maybe the three. Well, again, and you know, the, the fact that the MX350 has two gigabytes of VRAM, I'm not really sure it can be that much stronger <laughs> in a lot of games now. But yeah, I mean, it's just something interesting I thought to throw in there. H177 writes in, and he says, with all kinds of schools, businesses, and others buying laptops in the current environment of Intel CPU shortages and COVID closures, what would the laptop market look like in the next few months? Demand should be higher and supplies should be lower, but how will the non-enthusiast PC economy cope with this? Is pricing going to control the demand? Do we know if Lenovo, HP, or Dell's mentioned anything about this? Well, so I think I wrote some notes here uh, when I put this uh, on there. I'm seeing a lot of the cheaper laptops just be cheaper right now. And I think business laptops are harder to get. I have noticed that on HP's website when I checked a week ago. But I, I don't know. I, I think either way, 
consumers are just buying less of everything. That's something you're seeing pretty consistently in all markets right now. It doesn't matter what, except for alcohol, I guess it turns out. Um, people are spending less and we, me and Dan hasn't had a laptop for, you. when did yours break? Like a year ago or more? Yeah, no, about about a year ago exactly, I think. Okay, and so you've just been making do with a phone and a desktop for now, which since you don't do that much mobile editing or rendering or code work right now, it seems fine. Which, uh, But you want a laptop soon, so we were looking. Well, yeah, so I wasn't sure about what uh, the next year held for me, and for those curious, I did get into graduate school. Oh, right, he did get into grad school. Gerard, you should play like some clapping noises right now. Or we, me and Dan can just, we'll just clap. So uh, I, that was kind of contingent on my plans on buying a laptop or not, so I probably will get one now. And from what I've seen, like Best Buy is having clearance sales for usually a little bit of their like older models, I would say, but they're mm-hmm. pretty good deals for, for what you can get what, what for what the they offer. I, oh, the one I found that I showed you was a Zephyrus, last yeah. gen, I believe, but if I'm correct, it had a Ryzen 8 thread, didn't it? I yeah, think. it had a Ryzen 8 thread and... A 1660. Yeah. yeah. So, with GDR6, I believe. And it was like 900 bucks. So... Uh, that's, that's a good deal. Correct me if you think I'm wrong saying this, but I think demand for laptops is going to be down over the next year. I, I don't think I agree with what he's saying here. I think uh, uh, what H177 is saying, that demand will be up. I don't um, doubt there's some businesses that made impulse buys for a bunch of laptops for their employees, but I think I'll, that's a temporary. I I suppose that's true. I, I mean, I guess in the con, for consumer laptops, it's I'm what, just seeing greater and greater deals. Yeah, uh, so the economy is depressed, so fewer people are going to be buying them. I mean, I don't know if people have seen statistics, but I think it's like 27 percent of incoming college freshmen are considering are reconsidering their college plans right now. Jeez. So that means that I, I doubt so all if you of, need a laptop, man, this fall <laughs> with Tiger Lake and Cezanne and the impending world doom, <laughs> there may be lower prices than ever. Yeah. So demand is supply is probably going to be somewhat lower this year. But I also would bet that demand will would be lower as well. I don't think that's going to go up. And I don't think so. Not right away. I think next year we could have a booming economy again. But I May- think it's going to be a. And, and maybe we see like this month a slight uptick in like Lenovo ThinkPad type stuff for businesses that are deciding to start working people from home more. Yeah. And you know what? That is going to stay. There are going to be a lot of businesses that go, oh, yeah, come back to the office. But half of you don't need to as much anymore. So you get laptops now. Based on what I've heard from my friends that work in like a more office setting that recently graduated college, like most of the companies they work for are considering uh doing a more permanent work from home solution mm-hmm. or semi work from home, like two days you a know, week. Our, our mom works for a, a pretty big major corporation. And she recently told us that they said that to her, that she can work from home for the next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's pretty happy about that. Yeah. So I, I guess that those types of laptops, we you might see an uptick in sales, but yeah. And, um, and again, you know, I was just looking, the last gen razor is on eBay, for, you know, from Razer, certified with warranty, refurbished, and I tend to buy those on eBay as often as possible, including my previous NV13 that I got for $700 <laughs> with an eight-thread CPU and MX150. This was two or three years ago. I was very happy with that. Um, and, and this was like 1200 bucks, and it had an Ice Lake i7, which is the only Ice Lake you want. Let me reiterate that. The weaker Ice Lakes throttle like crazy. 
because uh, their bad 10 nanometer yields are genuinely bad yields. And But it also had a 1650. And I was like, you know, something that's smaller than my Envy. It was slightly smaller than my Envy and mm-hmm. a MacBook Air. And yet it had a full 1650. Well, Max Q, but. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I'm seeing lower prices, I guess, is what I'm saying. But the reason I didn't get it is I went, where am I going right now? <laughs> you know, my laptop's fine. I've got my desktop with 16 cores and 16 gigabyte graphics card sitting right here until I know I'll be traveling multiple times a month again. I have no reason to upgrade because I just think prices are going to get cheaper. But, you know, let us move on. We think we've talked about this enough. Ike's writes in and he says, how do you think Intel will market Tiger Lake if hypothetically it tops out at eight cores? Then AMD could likely launch an eight core with similar IPC as an R5 probably a month later. Um, <laughs> I talked to Cortex about this. I don't know how they're going to market anything once Zen 3 is out. Like, because they have nothing, I'm pretty sure. Even latency, they'll probably lose in most... Like, even their bullshit Ryan Shrout um, <laughs> uh, real-world usage benchmarks that are <laughs> contrived ways of winning by 5% over AMD, I think Zen 3 is going to eliminate that. Um, I think Tiger Lake will win some benchmarks, but... I don't know that it's going to be any better than Zen 3 either at anything. Well, Tiger Lake is going to be mostly relegated to uh, laptops, though, correct? Or... Yeah, but so, I think that's what he's talking about, too. Okay, so I uh, I mean, yeah, I guess we'll see. And I think they're just reserving Willow Co. 14 nanometer Rocket Lake for desktop, because I guess they hope people won't notice it's 150 watts. <laughs> Might actually use more energy than Comet Lake. Yeah, that's true. I guess I don't know. I mean, that's kind of been the entire story for, I would say, since... Zen 2 is definitely Zen 3 is there's not really a good reason to go for Intel processors right now. There really isn't. I mean, all I can say is, look, Tiger Lake, and I talked to people on Twitter about this, is going to be competitive with Renoir. But it was meant to be like a Halo product. It wasn't meant to be this thing that's competing with AMD's budget, you know, eight compute unit APU. I think it's going to be like up to 30% better graphics performance than Renoir, uh, although I'm maybe less. Uh, but then it, Renoir will win in CPU performance because it has double the cores, you know, by 50%. I think Tiger Lake has like a 5 to 10% IPC advantage over Renoir. And I think they'll have the same clock speeds. But still, look, I, I, this just, I, I said this on Twitter. This is in 2010. Having eight cores matters now in almost every application. Like, yeah, and and even in applications that only use one or two cores, that's not the only one you have open on Windows. Yeah, so this fifty percent CPU win, twenty ten to thirty percent GPU loss, they're going to be about even. But then AMD is rolling out Van Gogh, Cezanne, and, and more to say about Cezanne later. There may be several Cezanne dies. I don't know how they're competing with that. I, I just, I honestly hope a- Intel can get eight core Tiger Lake out before the end of the year, which I think they're trying to so that there's some real crazy competition in laptops this fall. I think that's what you're looking for, too. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. And when you say 8-core Tiger Lake, do you mean 8-core, just the actual Tiger Lake, in, or just like Willow Cove in general? I mean 8-core, 10 nanometer. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we see that. That would be better for Everything. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, they haven't proven that they can scale 10 nanometer to that yet very well so we'll see if they can (laughs) all right let us move on to story number 
too. So Apple supposedly will start selling Macs with ARM processors next year in 2021. And I quote from WCCF Tech, these processors will not initially be fast enough for MacBook Pro or iMacs, so the company will be introducing them with a new ARM-based MacBook. This is expected to be a 12-inch MacBook, which was killed off last year due to not being quite to the performance level they wanted. Down the road, Apple also plans to replace Intel's Xeon chips and Mac Pros with its own high core count ARM chips. So, I mean, that sounds to me like they're being they're pretty bullish on ARM's potential to make high-end chips. I mean, well, right- ARM makes some high high core count uh, server chips already. Yeah, I saw I guess some that's presentations true. by them at uh, hot chips. I'm not remembering for those 12 inch uh, laptops. Did they say what the core count would be on those? Or I think they said 12 cores. Yeah, for the 12 inch. I mean, so so I think it was like eight fast cores and four little baby cores. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds like it could potentially be really good for the uh, target audience for the MacBook audience. Yeah, these, as long as you know, this is the 12 inch MacBook. 12 inch. This isn't the 13 inch one where you're expected to boot Windows and play Skyrim. This is one where they probably just do mostly web app stuff and editing. And I'm sure this, if the program is written to utilize Apple's ARM architecture flavor or whatever, I'm sure it will run as well as like an i5 or i7. And in fact, I've seen some of Apple's ARM CPUs and their own custom architectures that have IPC very close to Intel in the past. So, yeah. So, I mean, if they can manufacture a process that good, I'd, doesn't surprise me that Mac would try to, I mean, Apple would try to make their own CPU production more in-house. They do like making their own stuff. So uh, Phil writes him and he says, do we have any idea if the Wuhan virus has halted any big releases, i.e. Chungus Navi and its G-Force counterpart? Interesting ways of phrasing things there, Phil. You know, I, all I can say to this, I just threw this in here in the middle. Again, a COVID talk this uh, this episode. I don't think it's delaying nearly as much as people think. I'm going to say what I said all the way back to the, you know, core, the initial COVID-19 die shrink, which is that I think most things will be, a lot of things are going to be delayed one to two months. There will be some things if they were early in development that will be delayed half a year. And it's just going to be supply constraints for all those one to two month things, right? Because again, like take Zen 3, for example, that was design complete late last year. So this is just final work they're doing now. Yeah, especially Most of given it can be that, done remotely. Especially given that it's on the same it's on the same node, correct? So I mean It's on 7 nanometer at hands, which has okay, a couple yeah, of EOV layers. So yeah, I mean I don't really have too much to add to that, but probably not like super substantial, I wouldn't think, but I can't speak for Nvidia, but I can speak for AMD quite a bit. Internally, all systems ago for Thanksgiving mega launch of Xbox, PlayStation, and Big Navi. Yeah, and if we haven't seen any... And they're just very careful what they tell suppliers because they know something could go wrong. But right now, it isn't going wrong. And we haven't seen any indication yet from Microsoft or Sony that they're planning on delaying their consoles. So I would suspect that that means those are design complete enough to go forward. I would think things that operate on the same or similar architectures are close enough to go forward this year. so I think so, too. And we'll talk about it more later when it comes to the consoles. But I, I don't think there's going to be much delays. And I think I have heard mixed things, though, about NVIDIA. I don't have any, like, 
great sources with NVIDIA, but I do talk to people that I know probably do. And it, it really sounds like NVIDIA is more worried about getting out their lineup on time than AMD. But yeah. that's just an impression. I'm not confirming that. But anyways, let's move on. Number three, Intel was planning to release 10 nanometer, six and eight core CPUs even into 2018. And I think I covered this in some of my 10 nanometer videos last year, but this comes from Adore TV and it kind of adds on that they were continually planning to try to get eight core 10 nanometer CPUs out. Not Because I mostly talked about last year how their initial roadmap was getting to 10 nanometer in 2015. And then 2016, and then 2017. But Adora talks about how even in 2018, they tried to make a 10-core or an 8-core Canon Lake. And I quote, One of Intel's most infamous architectures, if not the most infamous, has to be Canon Lake. The first-generation Intel CPU is held in such contempt that even Intel tries to forget it exists by redefining Ice Lake as the first 10 meter architecture and deleting the products formerly known as Cannon Lake page from the ARC database. And this is true, by the way. Some of my Intel sources say they used to call Ice Lake 10 nanometer plus plus. Now they just call it 10 nanometer and they call Tiger Lake uh, 10 nanometer plus. Which if we're being oh, wow. honest, effectively that's true. <laughs> you can't say Cannon Lake was a real node. Anyways, continuing to read here. Officially, only the dual-core i3-8121U was ever released back then, without integrated graphics and with clock speeds and power worse than the 14 nanometer dual cores. But it seems Intel actually did create some 6 and 8 core engineering samples, and at least a handful of them worked and have shown up recently. And even a dual core that had graphics working. So I find this interesting because I really, I think that's something I've covered multiple times is that there was this disconnected Intel. The engineers, at least some of them, did think 10 nanometer was coming out in 2018. And they were trying to make eight cores all the way back then. Of course they were. They're, they're trying to migrate from 14 nanometer to 10 nanometer. That would indicate that they would want to make eight core processors. Yeah, or, <laughs> Or at least four or six core processors, which they've clearly had problems with. That doesn't mean that they couldn't make one, which we've been joking about for a while. Is Yeah, they probably made one eight-core Intel processor on 10 And I bet it was almost as good as Skylake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I've seen 40-core Ice Lake Xeon engineering samples since 2018, I think. You know, these things are all there. And that's something I just want to, again, emphasize. How did Intel get such tunnel vision on 10 nanometer and keep committing to something that wasn't going to work? It's because they thought they could get it to work even when they were two years late. They were just like, oh, if we just get this out in a year. And it's because they knew if they did get it out, though, they would crush AMD. And they would have. If 8-core, ten, which is just a die shrink, Canon Lake was just a die shrink of Skylake. But if they actually got like a 65, like a 95-watt 8-core out because it was on 10 nanometer, in 2018, right when Zen Plus was out, I mean, yeah, that would have been better. And they really did plan to have 10 nanometer, eight core Ice Lake out in 2019. And it would have had 18%. They had engineering samples. They knew the architecture worked if they could make them. So they knew Ice Lake would have 18% higher IPC, eight cores, like 65 watts, ideally, compared to Zen Plus. And if they would have oh, yeah. gotten that out, that would have buried Zen Plus. Well, yeah, I mean, it, if uh, they would have gotten this to work, I mean, 
what Ryzen and uh, Zen One and Zen Plus. It would have been AMD shows makes better CPUs, but it still doesn't matter. That would have been the review. That would have been the review. Like Zen One was a brief win for AMD. Zen Plus Intel's back. Yeah, and it has just as many cores now. Uses less energy and has higher, like twenty percent higher IPC total. And yeah, and you know, and then they would have probably followed up with a ten core Tiger Lake in two thousand nineteen, and a ten core Tiger Lake may have beaten Zen two guys if they could uh, clock it the same. It would yeah. have had ten percent higher IPC, fewer cores, but I don't know. It would have been competitive at least. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to say at that point because. 16 cores. I mean, it's uh, obviously the the 16 yeah, cores are being utilized. My desktop. <laughs> obviously, the 16 cores on your desktop are being utilized, but maybe 10, 10 cores with, you know, 10% be- higher IPC. That might be better for the current environment we're in. Yeah. And I mean, instead, they'll have eight core Tiger Lake competing with Zen 3 and Zen 3 should have the same IPC, if not a little more. Yeah. So just that's I just I just want to emphasize that that. Yeah. Yeah, Intel really thought they were going to get all of these things, and that's why they got tunnel vision. And and a lot of it also comes down to not lying, but the fact that, uh, or, or, or it doesn't come down to ineptness. What I'm told is that they just needed more money, more engineers, more hours of work to figure out their problems on 10 nanometer. And the executives were just concerned with high profit margins and didn't give the fabs the funding they needed. Now, when Zen 1 popped up, they immediately gave them the funding. And that's why, oh, all of a sudden, I don't know if you guys have noticed, everyone has the top end version of Ice Lake now in their laptops, even yeah. cheap ones I've noticed. Well, yeah, I mean, what? they The competitor they were dealing with before Zen 1 was uh, the 8350 was their top desktop processor for... FX, Dan, the FX9590. Uh, Sorry. Hashtag 5 gigahertz 225 watt was their top competitor. And you know what, Dan? It almost matched a 84 watt i7. So joke's on you. Yeah, that I mean, that is true. Egg on my face. Yeah, triple the energy usage for almost the same performance. So, I mean, come on. Yeah, so everybody really should have been buying that anyways. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But no, they'd been dealing with a stagnant competitor for what, like almost five years at that point. So... Yeah, <laughs> it, it turns into how many, um, it's not the products themselves, but the product margins, profit margins on those products. Exactly. Anyways, let us move on to number four. Intel's 11th gen Rocket Lake S desktop CPUs will be compatible with Z490 LGA1200 socket motherboards, and they will be updated to PCIe Gen 4.0 this year. I actually did cover this in my years of domination video talking about Zen 3 and Zen 4. I included some Rocket Lake leaks in there, um, but quoting from WCCF Tech here, the Intel 11th generation Rocket Lake S desktop CPU lineup has been confirmed many times in various leaks, but as the launch of the Z490 platform closes in, we're getting more info on what to expect from the upcoming family. First of all, the Z490 motherboards have been confirmed to get support for Intel's 10th generation desktop CPUs in future processors. And I want to add this too. I know that there was from some of my sources, a little bit of like, okay, so we know this early, these motherboards work with PCIe Gen 4 and we know Comet Lake, Intel's going to probably want to erase it from history like they did Canon Lake. So what are they doing? Are they going to like advertise this? And it sounds like they might, they might actually advertise the motherboards as Rocket Lake ready 
and try to like make the argument, oh, you can get 10 cores now for the same price as AMD's 12 core, and you can upgrade later to, you know, Rocket Lake. And if you get an i5 now with six cores, this will be compatible with eight core Rocket Lake. I think that's how they're going to advertise it. I mean, yeah, it seems as time goes on, Comet Lake and Rocket Lake keep uh, getting more and more folded in on each other. Too. I'm curious if they're just going to be advertised as the same thing at some point, because I don't see how all the space fits in for Comet Lake and Rocket Lake at this point. And I think it they would probably introduce new chipsets usually with Rocket Lake. But does this mean that the Z490 chipset will, that will be like the, top end LGA 1200 chipset even for Rocket Lake or do we not yeah, know that? Yeah, this should this will be the top one and and again this is all because Intel intended to get Comet Lake out Q1. It was delayed like I reported it would be in October. Effectively two quarter. Like it's almost not going to be in full stock until quarter 3. And now the court, Rocket Lake was supposed to come out Q1 next year, but they keep pushing it up because they're like this is the one that's good. Like, this is, Comet Lake is an utter waste of time, so we should just get Rocket Lake out as soon as possible. It almost makes me wonder if they're just going to cancel (laughs) Comet Lake. Well, I don't think they will. I just think they're going to manufacture a certain amount and then switch to Rocket Lake as soon as possible. Oh, that's probably true. And it's worth emphasizing that the more information I receive about Rocket Lake, uh, the more it's like, it will have... Hot, way higher. Well, it's going to have way higher IPC. I mean, Ice Lake and some main, even mainstream workloads had like 18% higher IPC than Skylake. And I, and I saw in, you know, real tests, it had 15% in most things. So this is supposed to be about 10% more than that. So this is going to be like substantially better than Comet Lake. I mean, even just with eight cores, which they're not going to bother going to 10 cores because there's power usage issues if they do. Um, I think the 8-core will easily outperform the 10-core by 10 20%. Yeah, which will lead to some confusing marketing. Uh, <laughs> Again, like I've covered, you know, Intel's just throwing anything they can make at the wall because that's all they can do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Doomberry writes in and he says, how soon do you expect 5 nanometer HPC products? I remember TSMC stating that they would be ramping up 5 nanometer HPC and 5 nanometer low power at the same time. I don't believe you've stated anything of the sort, but will we see Zen 3 desktop or laptop on 5 nanometer? Mm, No, I don't think so. Uh, We have a rumor that AMD has 20,000 5 nanometer wafers per month from Q2 2020. Hmm. I have to double check that. I, I haven't seen that. I'm not saying you're wrong. You're probably right. I don't, you know. Assuming this is credible, though, what are they gonna do with that output? I mean, I did. Hmm. I, I will quickly say I did see. Um, I don't know if I saw Q2. I saw that. I thought I saw by the end of this year they were going to be on twenty thousand five nanometer wafers per month. AMD was so. I'm not sure uh, what volume that leads to for like CPU production, but. Yeah, I mean, so let's talk. We know that they bought ahead of time a shit ton of 7 nanometer capacity for the consoles and for Big Nobby. So we know that's happening. You know, Renoir is, I think, just on standard 7 nanometer. So what would be on 5 nanometer? Well, I'm pretty sure Saison's on 7 nanometer enhanced or full 7 nanometer UV. And... I know there's Van Gogh and a few other things coming out. 
I don't know. Um, if I had to guess, it could be a swing at a HPC APU, maybe. Some kind mm. of epic with graphics, HBM, and multiple Zen 3 cores die shrunk on it. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah. I know that there's something called Rembrandt coming after all these names I threw out. Yeah. It's supposed to be the big one. That could be the big one. Actually, I don't have firm evidence it is the big one, but we know it's coming. It's been referenced. All slides we, we've seen so far say Zen 3 is going to be 7 nanometer. So I, I don't think you would see that. I don't think you would see 5 nanometer until Zen 4. Yeah, I guess what I'll say is, would it surprise me if they did some interesting Zen 3 plus die shrink to 5 nanometer on these tiny low power chips for like really cheap laptops? I don't know. Nothing AMD is doing right now would entirely surprise me. Yeah, that could be just be the follow-up to Renoir, too. Like, this is leapfrogging. I, a lot of yeah. people are saying Cezanne's going to replace Renoir. The information I received is not that it's replacing it. It's that it's going above it, and then it's just kind of leapfrogging back and forth. Which, if you look around, that's kind of what they've always done. Even in graphics cards, it's like, you know, 7 nanometer Radeon 7. And then that comes out, and that's above their other Vega and Polaris. And then all of a sudden, lower-end 7 nanometer RDNA 1, and then they're going to leapfrog the 7 nanometer enhanced high end and then probably leapfrog down to the weaker ones. Yeah, I mean, that is true, I suppose. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a. I mean, design. think about the Picasso in 3000 series on desktop. That's 12 nanometer. Yeah, well, I guess it's too much of a pattern for it to not be a uh, design philosophy at this point. But <laughs> Well, it saves a lot of money. It's like if you're designing a new thing, let's use the latest stuff, but you're going to design it for a different segment yeah. to maximize how much you can use the die for. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I guess I'm going to say I don't really know what they could be using it for, but I know I know there's some server people talking about some crazy APUs coming out for servers. And a lot of people are like, why would you want that? But when I float it to them, they're like, are you kidding? I don't need to put graphics cards in my server clusters. We could make the blade half as tall <laughs> and just cool an APU. That's super easy. Then yeah, we can upgrade true. our clusters and not have to put new graphics cards in. Just everything is right there. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, I guess let us move on then, though, to story number five. So... AMD updated the Ryzen 3 1200 with 12 nanometer Zen Plus architecture. And at first I ignored this story because I was like, oh, four threads? <laughs> Get to 32 threads, peasants. Who cares? But I didn't notice the price. And so this comes from Tom's hardware. Uh, apparently it's 60 bucks. 60 bucks for a 12 nanometer quad core. No, no hyper threading, but yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty um in line with what they're putting out now. So, I, I mean, it's good to see that they're starting to capture uh, a lot of the lower end uh, market that was more relegated to what Intel could offer uh, with like Pentiums. But yeah, I mean, look at this for 60 bucks. I would not be surprised if it drifted down to 50 and then they just have above that for like eight, 50% more money, like $75. A Six core, 12 thread, 1600. And then it's just like the argument is who is going to touch Celerons and Pentiums? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, yeah, I'm just to say like they're in line, like the, how much can you get like a 2700X now for? That's, I don't know. I just say 150. It yeah. goes all over the place. Yeah, that's true. But um, yeah, this is a, if you're looking for a really low end CPU, I guess this is the best option at this point. But, and you know, if there's, let's say, I can see scenarios where I would recommend this, even if it just has four cores and you game. And that's for people, like, let's say you have some critical hardware failure 
and it like fries your desktop. You just have to build a new one now. It sucks. I've had things like that happen to me with my laptop where I just needed to buy a laptop. And it's like, well, you know, this fits into X570. So you could just get an X570s are going down in price or a B550 is coming out soon, probably for 80 bucks. So you get a $50, $60 quad core, an $80 B550 motherboard, and then you can upgrade to 12 core or 16 core Zen 3 down the road when it's cheaper. Like, yeah. And as much as this, I am shitting on quad cores constantly now because, I mean, this will run games above 30 frames, I'm guessing. It'd have some stuttering in some of the bigger AAA games, but I don't know what you play, right? Yeah, and I'm... If you can you, make do with this. Yeah, and if you don't have the money, it's an option, especially given the breadth of CPUs you can get now on AM4. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, most of those X570 motherboards have, like mine does, have two M.2 slots, and the B550 will have one. You can just get... I mean, I, I showed it in my uh, RDNA 3 video. I mean... A decent, and I mean above three gigabytes per second read NVMe drive that's Gen 3 is like $60 now. So yeah. you just throw that in there, half a terabyte of that. You can upgrade to Gen 4 whenever you want. You can upgrade <laughs> to Zen 3 whenever you want. So yeah, this is pretty cool. I mean, I think eventually they're going to move Renoir uh, disabled quad cores down to replace this in a year. But I, as the ultimate dirt cheap option. But for now, again, they can take very real market share with 12 nanometer chips. I think they're just going to keep making at least one or two 12 nanometer chips for at least another year because if they run out of seven nanometer capacity, they can just continue to spit these out at Global Foundries. Yeah, that's true because I, I do think what Renoir has to offer is that seems like it's probably going to start capturing the lower end market for AMD, but this isn't a bad stopgap. And it's not a bad idea to just have some 12 nanometer option. Yeah. on the table so that if Renoir sells out, people can buy this. Yeah, that's true. Blokes writes in and he says, hi, Tom, it's me again. Yeah, you do write to us quite a bit, Blokes, by the way. I have to kind of like limit it, like only two or three Blokes questions a podcast <laughs> at most. I'm trying to limit it to one, but this one was a really good one, so I'll at least read this one. I believe you forgot the big reasoning behind why it would not be an 8-core Matisse Rome chiplet with a CCX disabled. He's talking about the 3100X, which I think I cut that story because we've talked about that enough. For those who don't know, 3100X, 3300X. The 3300X is a single CCX design with 16, well, 18 megabytes of cache, which is pretty cool. Cool for 120 bucks, 130 bucks. Mm -hmm. Anyways, moving on though. He says, you hint towards it through the wording, but you didn't explicitly state the meaning behind the terms. Aiming for the Pentium market is aiming for a very high volume market. It would be silly to throw away a very large chunk of perfectly good Ryzen slash Lead Ripper slash Epic chiplets with the yields being as good as they are and going the cut down of a defect of a binning reject route of the cute little Athlon 2200G or whatever they call it. It's not how you serve a high-volume market. Because if you were to order a million Athlon 200 GEs, they wouldn't be able to sell you that many. They don't have that many cut-downs of a defect of a binning rejected first-gen Ryzen mobile processor, <laughs> which is true. I mean, I don't know. The 3100X has two disabled, has like an actual like chiplet with half of each CCX disabled. I doubt they have many of those. No. The yields are like 95%. Like, I don't know what, like very, very small <laughs> quantities. He says, but if you were to produce extra small chips, that's when you can make very high volumes of chips using surprisingly few wafers. Cheers. Cute video, by the way. 
which is a good point. And I think that's why they're using a single CCX design for the 3300X long term. Yeah. And I mean, that has to be, I mean, if we're seeing like 95% for full chiplets, like what, that's probably near 100% efficiency at this point. Yeah. I mean, they can make as many of those as they want. And I think that's what they're going to continue to do with the 3300X. It would not surprise me if, and I don't know how much those IO dies cost, but I think they're like, you know, 10 bucks, but then the interposer and like make, putting the package together mm-hmm. is like another 20. So that leaves, yeah, if you make these like, if you, they were to long-term just keep pumping out single CCX dies that were like 35 millimeters squared, they could make a shit ton of those. Yeah. And, and in fact, they could even rebrand. They could make a new version of the 3800X that has two of them. Yeah, that's true. So long term, that's kind of what I see happening is, you know, the 3800X being the new 2700X and the 3300X possibly being rebranded even or just continue to be sold, I guess. Right. As the 4100X below Renoir APUs that will go up to eight cores. And that's when, yeah, you'll you'll just have these like $100 four core eight threads or even cheaper, probably probably $80. Yeah, or even cheaper, what, four-core, yeah. <laughs> four-thread designs? <laughs> yeah, or, I don't think they're going to bring out yeah. any new. I don't. I think it's done. I think that 1200 is the last quad-core you're going to see without hyper-threading. Moving yeah, I forward. mean, that's... that's There's just per, no point, really. That's getting to be a pretty damn outdated design, so... And, and their yields are good enough. Like, there's really no point. Yeah, that's true. All right, let us move on to story number six. So AMD Zen 3 APUs and Saison leaks are all over Twitter and reported by many others, including WCCF Tech, after being covered two months ago, quote unquote, exclusively by Moore's Law <laughs> is dead. Now, there was some consternation here. Let me say this out of the gate. I need to address something of people saying it was a speculation video. It's like, well, I guessed at the name Saison, but I put a lot of thought into it. And we already knew from people like Apisat, Kamachi, Rogame, that there was a Saison being tested. Yeah. So it was an educated guess. It wasn't just rampant speculation. And I mean, yeah, though, I got information that lines up a lot with what Rogame and others were talking about. And I did reach out to WCCF Tech, and they did include my video in the middle of the article, quite randomly, by the way. I thought that was odd. There's like no context. It's just like in between paragraphs, one of my videos. <laughs> I, I, I mean, but that yeah. was nice of them to add it quickly. Yeah, I, I'm glad they gave you uh, credit for it. Yeah, yeah. But, but so those who don't know, there are more benchmarks coming out of a Zen 3 plus RDNA 2 APU being yeah, tested. Yeah. Now, Rogame talked to me, uh, said how he thinks it's a smaller APU than what I addressed. And I didn't, and I never thought about that until now. But just so you guys know, and I'm probably going to put this into some kind of APU update video at some point. Um. The person who messaged me had some really cryptic wording, and it was like some weird guerrilla mail messages. So I didn't really have a way to communicate with him well. But he said the big die has this, and the small die has this, and I didn't really know what that meant. I think there might be a big version of Saison and a small version. Okay. Now maybe this will be called Van Gogh, or something. Yeah. Or one of them will be called Van Gogh. One of them will be called that. But I think there could be two Saison dies, one with 24 compute units, one with 12 to 16. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't know. I have too much to so add. So I just want to throw that out there but... to Rogue Game and others say, no, yours was bigger. It's like, mm, there were two referenced. 
but I only got the die configuration for the big one. So that's what you yeah. mostly went with for the story? Yeah. Okay. So there could be like a, tw- yeah, the 24, and then maybe just another 8CU one that's meant to be like, I mean, 100 millimeters squared. Yeah, I mean, we don't know yet, so. Anyways, another 5 nanometer one. Story number seven. AMD's Best Buds TSMC designed an enhanced 5 nanometer node for its future Ryzen chips. And this comes from PC Gamer. And I quote, AMD's chip manufacturing partner, which they are just straight up partners now, clearly, guys, TSMC has reportedly created an enhanced version of its 5 nanometer node specifically for its next generation products. Well, its next generation products, well, it's next next generation products, <laughs> technically. The red team's 5 nanometer processors and graphics cards are still a little ways off. It's only the AMD Zen 4 CPU is currently pegged for the teeny tiny production of lithography. Although, again, what that reader mail guy pointed out, there's definitely other things being planned sooner rather than later on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, so what we'll probably see, I would think what RDNA 3 and Zen 4 will probably have 5 nanometer on it, right? Yeah, they've announced that Zen 4 will. Yeah. So I'm, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will take a bet that it will. Yeah, unless there's some problem scaling the architecture to five nanometer, but I don't, uh, I don't think so. But no, so I think this is a huge deal. Like the the, the thing people are like, oh, so this means TSMC is a big partner with AMD and then they stop talking. No, the, the big point is that NVIDIA can't buy the same node now. Yeah, that's true. Like, uh, is anyone else noticing this? That when they say AMD is TSMC's partner, they're not fucking kidding. Like AMD and TSMC are practically going to war with Intel at this point. And that's the only reason TSMC would do this, like to make sure AMD gets as much of a lead as it can. And this is really important going into 2022. You know, the thumbnail for this was the five nanometer, you know, Mexican standoff of like 2022. And that's what it's going to be. This is going to be everyone, you know, I think Golden Cove is going to be impressive. But at the same time, AMD's got a custom 5 nanometer. If This is going to be 20% better than any node NVIDIA can even buy. Yeah, and given the partnership, like I'm sure consoles eventually will start moving to 5 nanometer at some point. Just to bolster the relationship AMD and TSMC has, like I think AMD is probably getting to the point where in some way they're... They're bigger than Apple now. Yeah, they're probably their biggest partner at this point, right? Yeah, and and it's because they have so many different architectures, both CPU and GPU, that they can leverage in heterogeneous designs for consoles, for laptops, for desktops, for servers. And TSMC knows that these are all markets, especially the console and the server market, where if they make them, they'll buy them. Yeah. That's why we talk, I talked about how like a source said like, they just guaranteed resources to Sony early. Because if you're Sony, you're going to call AMD and say, hey, I don't know how many people are going to buy RDNA 2 on desktop, but we promise they will buy our consoles if you make them. Uh, I mean, yeah. And that type of a guarantee to TSMC. Why would TSMC not? Well, yeah, I mean, we're probably going to see, uh, what, like 150 million uh, TSMC AMD <laughs> design products uh, in the future in the console market. So, <laughs> I mean, you mean for next gen? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's safe, pretty safe to say is if you combine Xbox and PlayStation, it should hit. And and there's and there are rumors Nintendo's next Switch follow-up maybe AMD, which it was almost ridiculous it wasn't originally, by the way. Yeah, that is interesting that they went with uh, NVIDIA for the Switch. but <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember what the reasons were. I think NVIDIA was basically giving them to them for free. I mean... No one wants Tegra, so probably. 
Yeah, and not being in any console probably doesn't look great when AMD is doing so well in the console market right now. Yeah, well, let us move on to story number eight. TSMC ramps five nanometer quicker than expected, as we're basically been talking about. But three nanometer is probably going to be delayed a year. Oh, no, we only get three nanometer in 2023. Anyways, I quote from WCCF Tech. The delay for three nanometer is said to be six months, but could be delayed more because of our current situation in the world. According to media reports, the six months puts back the tooling of the factory and the trial period, which leaves it to start in December. So, I mean, yeah, what did I write here in the notes? I think it's pretty obvious this year's the six and seven nanometer year, and there will be six nanometer products next year. But late 2022, the five nanometer era begins. You're just going to see tons of five nanometer products until probably late 2023 when we get three. And then after that, that's when I stop making bets on when things are coming out, because I don't know what's going to be required. Well, I did recently see today some information about them starting two nanometer so <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't surprise me if we got two nanometer in 2025. That's pretty much when we're done, I think. I don't know how many product delays this would really lead to. I mean, five nanometer will start probably showing up in products end of next year, maybe. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think so. So given that that's probably going to be dominant for like two years, I don't think this is going to be, have that huge of an impact or that huge of an impact that we could foresee right it, now, at least. It, or. I mean, I think what you might mean is it's not going to feel like we're slowing down. Yeah, I think that's a better way to put it. Who knows? Maybe Zen 5 could have been on three, uh, three nanometer. Crazy and it will be on, about now. And it will be on five nanometer now instead. But that's thinking pretty far into the yeah. future, and we don't even know what Zen 5 will be yet. So, And again, that's the thing that makes me stop upgrading unless I need it. I mean, I held on to that 6700K a year longer than I probably should have. Most people would have gotten a 2700X or Threadripper way sooner. And I almost did a couple times, but it's like with how fast things are innovating, I'm like, no, 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 I'm waiting for Zen 2. And then I splurged. And it's like, no, I'm, I don't think I'm getting any Zen 3 products. I think it's Zen 4 or Zen 5, because I, look, I think we're just going to have five nanometers Zen 4 with like stacked memory on the die late in under two years from now or something. So, yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, it's 2020. Yeah, in under two years from now, potentially. Like, so I'm just, I mean, like, if you need to upgrade, guys, do it. But I don't see this insane innovation. I mean, again, and I talk about that in the AMD domination video that I recently did. Like, it. <laughs> In 2017, we had 95 watt eight cores and 16 threads, and all of a sudden you could get AMD quad cores for 100 bucks. Fast forward just like a few years later, now you get eight threads for 100 bucks and 16 cores at like 700 bucks, 12 cores, 24 threads at, five, at 400 now, about 400 bucks now. <laughs> it's 2020. In a few years, it's going to be 32 cores. And I think this is, we're going to be just get to two nanometer in like 2027. And then that's when things will start stagnating again as we figure out how, well, unless we're already got, unless by then though, we might have 3D stacking figured out and then that'll start a whole new thing. Yeah. I mean, it would be really cool if uh, we just didn't stagnate for like a decade, but <laughs> yeah, we'll see.
For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website including game codes i will reiterate it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website search for windows buy the code using whatever payment method i wanted and they do have several options and then i simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded windows 10 from microsoft's website save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys these are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video so one more time that's cdkoffers.com use dieshring for three percent off all software on the website including steam games and broken silicon for 25 percent off software all right now let's get to the benchmarking VI Pass writes in and he says, Ray Tracing Minecraft Beta is finally out. I had to use my kid's PC to try it out as I have a 5700 XT, but my old 2060, I don't know if it's that old, 2060, 5700 XT, these are just like one tier apart, guys. <laughs> Your kids have a pretty good gaming PC, as much shit as I give NVIDIA. Uh, but anyways, I played it at 1080p max settings at about 50 frames per second using DLSS, which the DLSS on this game, I could not tell the difference visually, whether it was on or off. This was on a 2060, an E5 89, 3.3 gigahertz all-core, 8-core, 16-thread processor. Oh, interesting. With 32 gigabytes of DDR3 quad-channel RAM. It's a very, very good kid PC with your quad-channel 8-core <laughs> Xeon in 2060. Just let me add that again. CPU usage is at 23%. GPU, 32%. So it seems like they could take advantage of the leftover power somehow. Yeah, I, that's pretty crazy. But I'm not a developer, and I'm too lazy to look into what actually was bottlenecking in the RTX card when the RT cores were in use. I just figured if the GTX series could brute force ray tracing with CUDA cores, considering this 23% GPU usage, then why couldn't they code it to max out the video card usage to improve frame rate, even though it might only be another 4 to 5 frames per second? So yeah, that's interesting. I know Hardware Unboxed found like 10 or 20% reduced power usage and the original Battlefield 5 ray tracing benchmarks, meaning that tensor yeah. cores were easily the bottleneck. Yeah, I mean, which uh, based on all understanding we have of how ray tracing currently works makes sense uh, <laughs> because there's not enough to uh, tensor cores to actually ray trace effectively. But... Yeah, and and I I mean the one thing I, and that's what I really expect out of Ampere, which there will be two flavors of Ampere. I think they're going to go to pay as much as they can as much as they need to mm -hmm. to get TSMC 7 nanometer for their top, you know, 120 compute unit or whatever or SM cards. Mm -hmm. And then they'll use 8 nanometer for everything below that. And I think it's just going to be like I think you're going to see clock speeds go up by 20%. I think you're going to see CUDA core count go up by 20%, but I think you're going to see RT and tensor core count double or something. 
Ah, hopefully. With a more effective architecture for leveraging it, too. And what I hear about RDNA, too, as well, is that the per-compute unit method is pretty powerful, too. So I think we're going to get quite an uplift. And with the rebalancing of the architecture, I mean, 23% or 32% GPU usage. uh, Yeah, I I think that's something they're going to fix. Yeah, you would hope so. I mean, mean, they basically had to guess how much ray tracing performance to give their cards when they knew, even though they told people otherwise, yeah. they knew it was going to be a gimmick for the first two years. Well, yeah, that's because it wasn't originally like designed for <laughs> ray tracing. It was for AI workloads, right? Well, the Tensor Cores and Volta were. Yeah. But they did mean to use them for the rate. That's how the denoising is done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, RTX cards. I mean, I'd be curious to see what the difference is with... Uh, ray tracing and DLSS turned off, I'm sure you would get higher than 50 FPS without us set up without any of that on. But I'm just curious what the GPU usage max is out at using the 2060 on Minecraft. Anyways, and and to actually answer your question, why don't they program better to brute force use the CUDA cores when so few were being used in this demo? It's because they don't want to. They want you to buy an RTX card. And actually, on that note, I did get a tip off to a, say, Russian tech tuber, and I couldn't make out most of it. So I'm not going to go super in depth because I, I just have to freely admit I don't fully understand what he was saying, even with the uh, even with the auto generated uh, subtitles in English. But he, they got DLSS at least software wise or at least enabled to some degree on the Radeon 7 and 1660 Super yeah, in a few games. Now, what was interesting, I read a couple comments, including one pinned by the creator of the video, and the link will be in the description for those who speak Russian. Please tell me what they were talking about or give me a synopsis. But it seemed like an NVIDIA rep in Russia reached out to them, and they, at least the translation I read said that NVIDIA reps said the reason you got ray tracing working on Radeon 7 is you were effectively only using half of it. You were using the upscaling tech included and on their latest Unreal Engine. Interesting. Which they said made it look way better, to which they responded, why the hell doesn't everyone have access to this updated upscaling tech, which, for those who don't know, is in the consoles, <laughs> right? And they didn't say anything. They said you were using a poor man's DLSS. And the, they said, well, it looked about as good as the original one. Thus suggesting, in a lot of these DLSS-enabled games, it's just the goddamn upscaling. Well, yeah, because which is the, something I'm getting so annoyed about when people are like, "How is AMD going to compete with this?" And I and I was made fun of by a couple of people for saying AMD will have their own solution in under a year. Trust me. And they're like, "Well, they can't do that without tensor cores." Yeah, dipshits, they can. Uh, Nvidia doesn't need Nvidia doesn't need half of their crap for half of their gimmick technologies they have right now. The tensor cores are for professional applications. They're selling you snake oil so you justify paying $800 for a 2080. Yeah, so when you get that nice AI uh, accelerated super sampling, you get really fun uh, flickering on (laughs) board. Well, they don't have that in DLSS 2.0, which I don't believe I included DLSS 2.0 as a main story. So I do want to take the time to talk about that. Now, it works. But it's not as impressive as people are making it out to. I just want you guys to know that's my opinion. When I looked at control and everyone was, I just couldn't disagree more with the assessments I saw where they were like, it's, you can't tell the difference between DLSS. I'm like, well, I could immediately. So yeah. immediately, I could immediately in control. 
Now, Battlefield was much more impressive, and some of the other games looked better. But this idea that DLSS has no visual performance loss, I, I just disagree. Like, I, I looked at the screenshots, and I could immediately tell which one I had it on. It looked fuzzier. Upscaling with a sharpening filter can probably do most of what DLSS does most of the time. And I'm not going to take DLSS 2.0 seriously until most games have it at launch, right? I don't care that you can use DLSS 2 in Battlefield 5, a game from when? 20, what was it? 17, 18? It was 2018. You know, so we're talking about a two-year-old game that I can max out at 120 hertz and full 4K on my Radeon 7 now. Yeah. It would have been nice to have it at launch, but you didn't. Same thing with Control. I don't care that they're adding DLSS 2.0 to like three okay, games and this two is years Tom after and they Dan come jumping in again. This is a recording made after we made the initial podcast recording. As I was doing the final pass listening to the podcast, I thought it would be worthy to double check the DLSS results for two reasons. Number one, the original link to that guy who's Russian, I think that video is private now. So if someone watched that and speaks Russian and remembers exactly what he said, still in the comments, please tell us. But I'm not sure why he pulled that. I just know it's not there anymore. And so I thought it would be good to double check the tech spot link to the DLSS testing. And we just pulled up control um, and uh, randomly, I didn't cherry pick anything. And again, just to, because I, I, was, I really wasn't sure if I was being too harsh on DLSS 2.0. But would you agree, Dan, when we look, it's not that impressive? No, I mean, uh, of the screenshots I saw at the um, of the 4K test they did, I would say 4K, Upscaled, and DLSS all looked pretty damn similar. You mean 1440p Upscaled to 4K? Yeah, 1440p Upscaled to 4K, 4K, and then DLSS 4K. Yeah, it all looked pretty damn similar to me. Like, and, and it got to the point where we were zooming in on my 1080p monitors, and I was like, well, this isn't good enough. And so I downloaded the raw, full, un, you know, compressed 4K pictures, put them on my OLED TV, ones where we can put our eyes next to the pixels and actually see them individually. We, it, it didn't help at all. It didn't make the DLSS argument any better, even at native 4K. Yeah, exactly. With my eyes next to the pixels. I mean, at a certain point, me and Dan, I think, came to the conclusion, we can't honestly say one looks that much better, except 4K looked a little better. And mostly between 1440p upscaled and 4K with DLSS, it just looked like you were kind of randomly choosing different things to be slightly blurry. Yeah, and I can't say which one is better, honestly, so... So yeah, I think I have to double down here. I think everyone's focusing on that you can barely tell the difference and you get a 40% performance boost. I mean, I'm pretty sure you just get a 50% performance boost running 1440p upscale to 4K. And again, as we talked about, the fact that Unreal Engine has some newer upscaling tech tells me that that's most of it. Uh, like, I mean, yeah, that's most, if not all of it, I would guess, honestly. Like, and, and, and this is just 4K where I can say certain things in the DLSS image looked clearer than the 1440p upscaled. I would say it looked maybe slightly better, but then the raw 4K looked obviously better. Although, yeah. again, I don't know if it's worth the performance boost. You talk about this with your Vega 56. If you're not getting 60 frames, you just keep bumping down resolution scale. It's usually around 80, but until you get 60, right? Yeah, I would 
I would much rather have the higher frame rate. And it looks fine, speaking. right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so the last thing to say about this is we looked at the 1440p results, and man, does it look like shit. Like, I'm <laughs> sorry, I really think standard 1080p looks better than 1440p with DLSS. Yeah, like, obviously yeah. better. Like, the shadows were missing on some objects. Yeah, which I guess I can't speak. Maybe they changed some other setting, too, because that doesn't make sense to me why the shadows just straight up weren't there, but... Yeah, and I, and I guess... I, so I guess two final thoughts. I stand by my opinion. DLSS 2.0 does not impress me. It's a handful of games that got a feature two years after it came out when most people who are going to play it are done playing it, and while you get a 40% performance boost, and I would say the visual quality is maybe slightly better than just running it in 1440p, I don't think you get the same performance boost you would just running it in 1440p. The only thing we can really say is it doesn't seem like it's worse than just upscaling, unlike DLSS 1.0. Yeah, I think that's the best you can say for it at this point. And it seems like 4K with DLSS... There may be some argument in some games, but the 1440p is just a joke. And maybe as we move to 5K and 8K, it will be worth it. But again, it's like, I, the, the, that's the other thing I want to say. Just, I doubled down on my opinion that the next-gen consoles, as long as they're above 1440p with good assets, I don't think anyone's going to tell the difference between any resolutions dynamically shifting. I think ne I really do think the PS5 and Xbox Series X, no one's arguing over resolutions anymore. At least no one with a brain. Yeah, especially given that I bet a lot of textures won't even be fully utilized at 4K and well, max out a lot of the time at 1440p. But Yeah, so I mean, that's all there really is to say about that. Yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> Moving on to story number nine. Razer launches an updated Blade Stealth 13-inch laptop with a GTX 1650 Ti graphics card, which is basically just a 1650 with all 1,024 CUDA cores and GDR6. Yeah. Quoting from PCMag, the high-tech display is probably is perhaps the most immediately eye-catching addition, but it's not the only feature. In addition to a 120 hertz display as standard, it's now joined by a 1650 Ti Max-Q, up from the previous 1650, and an Ice Lake i7. I will note this, the previous 1650 had the same CUDA core count. The mobile 1650 was clocked lower, but had more cores. Mm -hmm. And it had GDR5 before, though. Yeah. So this should be about 10% stronger. Or this should be about a full desktop 1650, you know, almost to a 570 in performance in a smaller than MacBook Air form factor. I just include this because that's crazy. I, I, I mean, I am liking how uh, laptop companies are, I mean, how OEMs are coming out with more and more laptops that have. Uh, decent to well this is gonna have pr pretty damn good performance mid-range performance and a small form factor i don't know why that didn't become more popular early on maybe it's just battery tech but <laughs> yeah which th i think this does just have like a six to eight hour battery life that's not bad though if no, we're comparing it considering to it's a mid-range gaming laptop and if we're comparing it yeah if we're comparing it to stuff from even five years ago six to eight battery i mean six to eight hours of battery life for this is <laughs> Way better than what you used to get. <laughs> yeah, ever since I got my MacBook Air in 2014 that had Broadwell, that easily had over 10 hours. It had about a 10-hour battery life. But I feel like my NV13T with, I don't I remember if it was, it was a weaker Whiskey Lake i7 than what I have now, and an MX150. That had about an 8-hour. I would say my new one has a 10-hour again. I think I'm just, that's it. 
10 hours is the limit for me. So if they can get a future version with Tiger Lake and yeah, a yeah. set, or I, I don't think they're going to do the 1700 series. I think they're just going to have everything be the 3000 series from what I'm told. So then a 3050 Ti in there. Yeah, I mean, that's when I might upgrade mid, late next year to if I start traveling a lot again, you know, to like the next hot chips or whatever. <laughs> like that's what I'll bring to render. I, I know for a fact I've been told that these uh, Turing mobile cards are pretty good at encoding and exporting videos. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, this type of stuff is a great option for you. It's pretty expensive, right? $1,800 oh, or something. Yeah. But- and the version I would get would be two grand. That's why, yeah, but here's the thing. Manufacturer refurbished versions will be like twelve hundred on eBay in six months. Yeah, if you if you're willing to wait for laptops a few months, you can usually get them for a way way lower price than what they launched at. Yeah, there's these people that buy them up in bulk with a manufacturer refurbished warranty, and you can. I mean, I found some five hundred dollar quad core i sevens, eight threads with MX one fifties, five hundred bucks, sixteen gigs of RAM, NVMe SSD. I mean, look, an MX-150 is nothing to write home about anymore, (laughs) but that'll run plenty of games. I mean, that will still run most games at, what, low settings probably, or am I? Oh, minimum settings. Minimum Minimum of the minimum. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this is uh, cool. I'm curious about the 120 hertz display. I'm curious if that will... I would, go to the, I would go to the, I don't know if it's OLED, but the 4K display. Yeah, because I... Just for editing reasons. And I wonder if that's even really utilizable with the... The graphics card that's included, but um, I bet it low. I bet at whatever settings I'm running, uh, Mountain Blade Banner Lord on my MX250 now, it probably run 120 hertz. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, the reason I brought up this, it, it's really not a big news announcement. It isn't. You know, basically what they did is they added 50 percent more bandwidth to the previous graphics card and a nicer display. But I'm just pointing this out, guys. This is where we're at now with 12 nanometer graphics cards and 10 nanometer processors. When you get something like Cezanne, baby Cezanne eight core <laughs> combined with some kind of seven nanometer enhanced RDNA two sixty five hundred M or eight nanometer Ampere, whatever, like this is going to be over double the performance of this in a year, under yeah. a year, and this will be. This is what interests me. This could keep up with the next gen consoles for a year. The processor eventually is going to be too weak. Yeah, but, that's true. I guarantee next year the updated version, maybe not of this one, but there will be competitors from HP and Dell and maybe Apple if they upgrade their MacBook Air. I don't want to get into that, but the MacBook Air is a little weak in my opinion this year. Um, oh, that's a nice display, though. But I, I think if if we're seeing this now, yeah, you're going to see something at least twice as powerful with eight cores next year. And then you're getting somewhere where if this is a 570, if you can double this performance to get you to almost a Vega 56, you're to, you know, maybe a third uh, uh, the performance of the next-gen consoles. That will run the next-gen console games just at a lower resolution. Very much lower resolution, but, I well, mean, you can keep 1080p is a fourth. I don't think you should get a laptop to be a desktop performance. Co- you want replacement for me, completely. yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I also think it's good to highlight every once in a while that um, I think laptops are kind of the almost at the best they've ever been like oh yeah they're so great now every niche you could you need is available for laptops now um they're good prices battery life is better than it's ever been across the board too even the desktop replacements at least they don't last 30 minutes at least it's like two hours now 
Which, I mean, I guess that's enough time to, if you're in college. Go to a meeting. Or, yeah, if you're in college or if you're in a business, you can have that thing on the entire meeting or class you're in. Which you couldn't before. Yeah. I remember in college I had a desktop replacement. But yeah, so I guess let's move on. Joe Starr writes him, what do you think the odds are of a consumer-level Huawei graphics card? Uh, quite possible, honestly. Uh, I would say the big thing holding it back is the uh, U.S. doesn't like Huawei, and I bet a lot of stuff is going to get banned from Huawei. Or it already is right now, isn't it? Yeah, you might have to import it on eBay or something. Yeah, and hear a lot of people telling you that uh, there's a bug <laughs> in your graphics card, but... Yeah, so which I don't think is true to be clear, but I just highlight this again. For now, it's just going to be Nvidia, Intel, soon Intel and AMD in the graphics market. And I don't rule out Intel. I think they will be in the low to mid range in a year or two. And eventually I think they will make it into the high end. I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think they will though. But again, also don't rule out all of these others like ARM and stuff like that. Like I talked to John Petty about that on that podcast and he talked about how well, ARM's approach basically is they've put together the full tool set and architecture features for ARM right now. They mm -hmm. just expect a third party to scale it up if they want to. Yeah. And so at any point, we could see this happen. Do I think it would be easy to compete with AMD and NVIDIA? No. Do I think we should rule out, though, someone coming in and just being like, they're making 40 to 80% margins. We're happy with 10%. Yes, this will only compete with their lower mid-range cards and use more energy, but we're going to sell it for half the cost, like 200 bucks. I wouldn't rule that out. I continue to believe we're going to see that at some point in the next five years. Well, yeah, a company, that a big company like Huawei getting into this, as long as they have a big enough war chest to put up with maybe early low adoption rates, like they could become a legitimate competitor like two to three years after getting into the market. Yeah, like, if they tried which to. Which is why I brought up Jingjia. They're meant to make graphics cards uh, for like government Chinese servers and stuff. Yeah. But that's their backbone. That I could see them make consumer versions for the Chinese market at least. And at least there's something. There's some kind of a third or fourth check on the big three. Because you do need that every now and then. Someone entering in the market and being like, hey, we're here too if you all of you guys act like idiots. I mean, yeah, before like the big 3D uh, graphics cards were a thing, like there were a lot more competitors in the space, if I'm remembering correctly, right? Oh, yeah. And it, it's interesting how over time we see those, all of those competitors get whittled down to like two or three. And I'm curious if we'll ever see. Uh, Same with the console market. Yeah, the, yeah. I should have been more explicit. That's what I was referencing. Uh, I'm curious if we'll ever see that expand again. And it would be cool to see it expand again, I think. Yeah. Well, let us move on. Speaking of graphics cards, story number 10. Arcturus is spotted again, this time with 120 compute units. And this comes from Tech Power Up. The reported configuration is an Arcturus GPU with a 120 CUs, resulting in a CDNA core count, because that's what they're going to call new GCNs mm -hmm. pretty much, of 7,680 cores. These cores are running at a frequency of only 878 megahertz for the core clock and 750 megahertz for the SOC clock and a surprising 1200 megahertz HBM2 memory clock. While the SOC and core clocks are lower than the previous reported one, along with the CU count, the memory clock is up by 200. It is important to note that this is a test board variation of the MI100 they had before. This comes from Tech Power Up, which before they actually got their hands on a BIOS mm -hmm. of the original sample. The original sample had slower memory 
but it had 8192 cores. Yeah. And it clocked to 1200 megahertz. So this is obviously some kind of engineering sample, but it does hint at a 20% bandwidth boost over the MI60, which I have a version of the mm-hmm. MI60. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think this, I bring this up just because I think this is interesting that this is still floating around out there, CDNN, CDNA 1.0. And I've been thinking about it. I mean, I think a 4096-bit bus with just HBM2 is enough. I mean, so 20% more bandwidth than the MI60 I basically have. But it, I mean, I think it's fair to say my card has more than enough bandwidth <laughs> for how many <laughs> compute it has. And so if they go from like 14 or 15 teraflops, which is what you get in the full MI60, to like 20 teraflops, yeah, 20% more bandwidth should be enough. And I do wonder if there will be a consumer version because I, I, all rumors point to this literally not having video outputs included. I mean, yeah, I think uh, all these rumors about Arcturus, it is important to point out that this isn't really a consumer-level card, and it just keeps popping up, what, like, every, like, two to three months. Uh, I'm interested to see whenever they announce this damn thing, but yeah. I, I doubt I doubt there will be a consumer-level product Yeah, for, for the people that hope to get this, like, a 120 compute unit instead of the 60 compute unit Radeon 7 for editing, I would consider it. Personally, just because mm-hmm. I think, you know, depending on what it can do. But I think it's worth pointing out that it really is just for really specific compute workloads. Because I really think RDNA 2 professional cards are going to be way better at a lot of editing tasks than people expect versus GCM. And by then, the drivers should be stable. And additionally, look, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. 20% more teraflops. Teraflops do not equal gaming performance. So what you might end up getting is a 300-watt card, or I think they said this is they're aiming for 250 watts now, that is only like, I don't know, 20% better at gaming than the Radeon 7. I mean, like it's not even to, as good as a 6700 XT, whenever that comes out. Yeah, it's hard to say. Who knows if it will even be that, like especially given these... Modern architectures by AMD are more clock-based in performance in a lot of ways. I'm curious if that super low clock, high CU count would even translate to like good Anything. gaming performance yeah, at, all. at all. Like it might even perform worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it's 1.2 gigahertz instead of 1.8, like mine typically runs at like 1850 megahertz while I'm gaming. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That again for gaming, you want high clock speeds. Like that's obvious. So. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any consumer versions coming, but it's interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to story number 11. A lot of stories this week, guys. This comes that Ampere is definitely being announced on <laughs> May 14th. NVIDIA tells people, and I'm re- reporting this from video cards, get amped for GDC 2020. And I wrote down this note, why can't AMD be good at marketing? What a brilliant way just to tweet you. I hope you guys are getting amped and they like put it in all caps or something for May 14th. And now everyone's going to tune in and I think it will only be the professional cards. I really don't think they're going to show consumer stuff yet, but yeah, that's interesting. So give it a month. We'll know what Ampere is. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm excited to see whatever they have to announce, even if it is just professional, because they will probably get a trickle down of consumer gaming cards. Trickle down economics. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because their approach right now is more 
sell it to AI-based people and then make adapt those cards to... Yeah, I mean, this coincides with the Turing launch. Like, yeah. Turing was announced with professional cards first, and then they, like, how all these demos, and then everyone was like, okay, so they're definitely going to have gaming versions, though, right? <laughs> and then, like, a few months later, they unveiled it, and then it came out... I think that came out pretty late in 2018, didn't it? Wasn't it, like, yeah. October or September? Yeah, I'm not... Rem- I, that sounds right, but... Yeah, so I wouldn't surprise me if this came out more around Thanksgiving, but I know they're going to want to at least paper launch a Turing lineup when AMD is already an A2 out. There's no way. And I think you mean an Ampere lineup, right? Yeah, an Ampere lineup. I think they'll do massive Turing price cuts and paper launch Ampere when already an A2 is out, if it's not ready. And it could be. I mean, that's why they're using Samsung 8 nanometers, so they hopefully don't have capacity problems. Yeah. Anyways, let us move on to story number 12. NVIDIA is working on 5 nanometer GPUs. Now, this surprised no one, and I have a couple links here, one from Tech PowerUp, one from TechSpot. I'm not going to quote them, but it basically just confirms that NVIDIA bought a bunch of capacity early for 5 nanometer, which I think is funny. TechSpot points out that in response, AMD bought more 5 nanometer capacity. That's interesting. I don't, <laughs> I'm not quite sure of what to uh, make of that right now, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think that's worth pointing out that it's not like NVIDIA bought up 5 nanometer capacity as a response to AMD buying up 7. No, well, they did do that as a response, but it's not like they just bought all of it. AMD mm-hmm. already had allocated most of 5 nanometer, and they just bought even more when they saw NVIDIA do that. Yeah. So they do. There does seem to be a legitimate strategy going on here of AMD buying out future nodes with their partner and just being like, oh, this is too bad. The five nanometer war should be fun nonetheless, though. <laughs> Which is why I titled this thumbnail that there's so much five nanometer talk in this podcast. That's really when I see this all coming together. I think we're going to have Intel on seven nanometer um, EUV in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, by 2022, if not end of 2021. At least. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have AMD on 5 nanometer then. You'll have NVIDIA following on 5 nanometer. There's going to be, and you know, you should have Alder Lake out by then. And Alder Lake yeah. probably won't be as good as Zen 4, but it's going to be significantly better than what they have now. And I think late 2022 is when we should finally see some look at Intel's true response to Zen. Yeah, and, it's been and, delayed, but... <laughs> yeah, and that's the competition that we're going to see in like 2022, 2023. All this 5 nanometer stuff with like Intel, uh, AMD, and NVIDIA. And so I think that's where you're going to start to just get... I'm excited. I just think things are just going to keep getting more interesting every year here. You can see it. You can see the telegraph of these companies getting ready for a war in a few years. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like this was the uh, interesting years for a while, but I think the Intel response to uh, to, uh, AMD is when it's going to start getting really interesting. But yeah. Well, that is all of the stories. I thought we would then get to some final reader mails here. Place Pants writes in and he says, please explain what the fuck a nit is in terms of screens and brightness measurements. Lumens, well, you're at it. Looking up a definition isn't the same as Tom's definition. And it seems like many of us use the spec nits without understanding what we're actually measuring. Well, Dan, you did some digging. So I think this is going to be the Dan <laughs> uh, I, I definition. Mean- I mean, the response is kind of a joke. A nit is a candela per meter squared, and a nit is a candela per uh, some radian equivalent to a sphere per unit time. Uh, 
they're really abstract concepts. I think the best way to put a nit is it's about the brightness of a candle on a meter squared. So an LLED screen is the equivalent brightness of 1,000 candles per well, meter more squared. like 800. Yeah, so Tom's TV, it's probably the brightness total of 2,000 candles. And, and we means. have a video coming out soon where we glue 800 candles to my screen and light them and see if it looks the same. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's a good way. That was to, a joke. I, oh, yes. You I just should, kept talking. I, I, I got that that was a joke, but I, I think we should. They're abstract concepts that I don't think it's 100% easy to say what exactly that means. But so I'm not wrong that a knit is like each knit supposed to be a candle at a meter or something. Uh, 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 one knit is supposed to be the equivalent brightness of a candle on a meter squared area, I and, think. And to the people that go, well, a candle, that's not like an exact thing. It is. It is, actually. Candles tend to have a standard brightness for and most that, of them, if you haven't noticed. And that was standardized long time ago when they were like, we got to standardize these candles in the 1800s. Yeah, because a couple of board scientists got really... Uh, Really excited about standards for a while. So, well, I mean, if you think of the 1800s, that's when we understood science, late 1800s, but we couldn't make anything yet. So that's when they went crazy with theoretical physics and all of that stuff because yeah. they're just like, well, someday this is what we could do. Too bad we're still riding horses. <laughs> Must have been frustrating to be those people. Yeah. And they just made weird contraptions to measure these things because they were too smart and too bored right like a machine that can clone you for a magic trick that drowns you at the same time yeah that's a biopic i believe yeah that's a real true story now that's the prestige with hugh jackman anyways so i think that's all we have to say about that though right yeah it's just that overall micro led is like 10 times brighter than oled theoretically theoretically but that's the best i can give you it's it's hard to say yeah it's something we'll probably address again in the future. Thanks for the question, though. Uh, Edwa G. Doe says, Tom, do you have any thoughts or info about MRAM? I've been reading a bunch and saw that Intel is already producing it. Also, Everspin and many other companies. How does it compare nowadays to normal DRAM, and could we see it in future designs sooner rather than later? Did you look this one up? A little bit. Um, all I could read is that there are certain drawbacks. I could. It wasn't clear to me what the drawbacks were to MRAM. What is MRAM? So it's a non-volatile uh, type of RAM. And he says that Intel is already producing it. MRAM goes all the way back to the 80s. So it's, an old, it's also okay. an old type of storage. I, I can't get into really deep into it because it does get to a point where I don't understand what they're talking about. But. Yeah, it's something on my list to look into more. The one thing I'll just say again about non-volatile memory is a lot of it comes down to like, can we make something that can effectively work as an SSD, but we remove the latency bottlenecks and of course make it a lot faster bandwidth mm-hmm. uh, that you would traditionally get in storage so that we can have one flat thing of Storage, right? Storage, RAM, whatever. Because, you know, if you again, if you really think about how your PCs work, you basically have like a thousand tiers of like moving data yeah. around. And so you'll have to take data that's on the SSD when you install a game, and then you got to load it into the DDR. And then that gets loaded into the VRAM or your graphics card. And then they also load the most access things into the cache of your CPU. And so you're doing a lot of the same shit over and over. Mm-hmm. And that's from my understanding 
some kind of half step they're trying Sony's trying to do with the PS5s SSD it's not just about the bandwidth if you actually pay attention to Sony's presentation it's about the six tiers of storage access it's about actually scaling up they actually wanted to scale load times up linearly with bandwidth and in a traditional SSD just making it faster doesn't solve that problem yeah and so we I can't wait to see how well it works but that's what they're trying to do. It's not the same as if it was 800 gigabytes, I don't think, of Optane. I don't think yeah, it's that yeah. good. But, well, it might be. I don't know. We'll we, see. Yeah. You know, Optane hasn't impressed me that much yet. A lot of it could be the software, though. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the dream, is just being able to have one giant pool of storage that doesn't lose what you were doing when you turn off a computer, and you can just access one piece of information instead of having to duplicate it and swap it between parts constantly. Yeah, so... and, and So I think it's the future. Let's be clear about that. Yeah, that could be true, and maybe something like MRAM isn't, becomes outdated as a non-volatile storage, like... SSD is like maybe that just replaces the idea of MRAM as that gets as fast as and, and there's a lot of different types of non-volatile storage coming out. There's some things Sony's now working on that I just haven't looked into because it's not in anything coming out soon. Of course, there's Optane. I know Micron and IBM, I think. Don't quote me on that, guys, but I know IBM's working on it. I know Micron is too. Like, so there's all different types yeah, of companies yeah. working on this type of stuff. And I, I just I do think it's the future uh, for the reasons we just talked about. Sage of Geeks writes in, and he says, with the consoles using super fast SSDs for VRAM, do you think PC will go the same route or just continue to make bigger cards? So I did basically a whole video about this reader mail, the more I thought about it. For those who don't know, the RDNA 3 video that came out 24th, that came from me and Dan just talking, walking the dogs about what PC, like, let's say, Let's say for a second the PlayStation 5's SSD is as revolutionary as they claim it is. We don't know until we have proof, but let's say it is. What would PC do? Me and Dan were just talking. You just put an SSD on the graphics card. They're not that expensive. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, I think it's accurate to say that that's the solution or just making bigger graphics cards is the solution, which it depends which one scales more easily over time. I would... Place my bet on the larger, fast uh, storage slash RAM would be the easier solution over time yeah. than a bigger graphics card, especially as scaling issues well, start to. Well, there's inherent, and again, I cover this in the video. I mean, AMD's been talking about doing this on mainstream cards since 2016, which is really one thing that made that video so good as I realized. It, I want to just say this, guys. Uh, watch that video and then read that Tom's Hardware article from 2016 talking about the Pro SSG graphics card that have something similar to a PS5 on it, really. And you'll see that like it read like the Mark Cerny press conference except four years ago, and it was from AMD. So yeah, you can see they've been working on this since then. Yeah, it was pretty funny when you show me that, like the next morning after that conversation, they were like, oh, this is a thing that they've been at least working on at some level for four years now, then three or four years now. Yeah, like like AMD wants to do this. And that's something Cortex has talked about, too, just as an example, just that I remember him talking about. That's why I bring him up is he's like, I don't know what NVIDIA solution will be if the PlayStation 5 works out, but maybe they'll just load entire games into the RAM. And so, yeah, so if we can get graphics cards that have 96 gigabytes of RAM, <laughs> I guess yeah. you could just load the whole game into that. Or, yeah, or like what you said, like two tiers of RAM where there's just a massive pool of slower RAM like we see on the what the PS5 will 5, be. yeah. 
But again, it's not just about the SSD. It's about the controller. Yeah. And and and, and anyways, in terms of fast uh, VRAM, well, the Xbox does not have the same type of storage. And it doesn't matter how many times you bang your head against a wall and tell yourself it does. It doesn't. You know, there, there's nothing you can do to make up for the fact that its SSD has half the bandwidth, especially less than half the compre- the uncompressed bandwidth. Yeah. And, but yeah, less than yeah, like 40% the bandwidth if it's uncompressed which is important if you're using it as RAM. And then the controller is like less than half as powerful as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the comparison would be like saying, well, I mean, DDR2 and DDR3, they're basically the same thing. Like that would be the equivalent of saying the- I think it'd be like comparing DDR2 to DDR5. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) Because it's not just about the bandwidth. It's also about how you're utilizing it. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess I'm saying at a minimum, it's like, well, those aren't the same thing and saying, well, they're basically the same as. And I don't want to see any velocity architecture comments. It's a <laughs> marketing term. You mean Zen 2 and RDNA? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There will be custom tweaks to it, but velocity architect, velocity is a word. I don't, you know. And so anyways, I mean, the solution, though, for PC, which is what that video is mostly about, is just putting really fast storage next to the CPU and the GPU to brute force the problem, I think. Yeah. And, and I think they will sooner rather than later. In fact, there's there's some really interesting little snippets I've been noticing, kind of like connecting the dots about what might be going on with the next-gen RDNA cards. But it's like, I just don't have enough information to really... Make a like full video. No, like but I, I will def. I already have some previous like articles and like statements from AMD and Cerny that I will reference. I have a feeling in the future, <laughs> depending on what we see AMD announce soon. And uh, I guess let's move on though. So Faceplants writes in and he says, Tom, would you bet $50 that in most games on the new consoles, frame rates will be within 20% or less between them? Absolutely, I'll take that bet. It's not even close. Like, and here's why. You specifically framed the question, the frame rates will be within 20%. Well, yeah, they're both going to work at 60 frames. I think there's a chance we could be seeing locked 60. Probably on at both, watch. Uh, on both consoles, you mean? Or yes. Pro- I, if there's any visual difference, it will not be the frame rate, guys. Yeah, you might see higher resolution on one console or over Depending the other. Depending on the game. Because yeah. I was thinking about it, you know, for a while it was bothering me, like, why the hell... Does Xbox think 2.5 gigabytes of system RAM is enough? Because 3.5 gigabytes is reserved for the OS. What game do you have that only uses six gigabytes of RAM? None. <laughs> like, and I and to be fair, it would be six gigabytes of RAM with a Chrome tab or two open because it's handling the OS as well. Yeah. But and then I thought about it. Oh, wait a second. The PlayStation only has access to five gigabytes. For some reason, they waste three gigabytes on the OS. Mm-hmm. So that's why they think six gigabytes is enough for system RAM for next gen if they use BC Pack and their other, you know, custom code processors to swap out information from the SSD fast enough. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I guess they're not, I, I don't think they're quite calling it system RAM. So, may, but I don't know, it's two separate pools pr- pretty much, right? Like, and they said they, they will use the 10 gigabyte pool for system RAM in games that need it. 
but okay. it's so bizarre. It's not a unified segment. And for those that say it's they can pull from both at the same time, they can't because the CPU can only access. Because of how uh, computers work? <laughs> yeah, they can't. You would have to have, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not the same as a PC. It has coprocessors and stuff. But And then I thought about that. I'm like, oh, so it is. It's just like last gen consoles. They think six gigabytes is enough because current gen games on the consoles have like three gigabytes for the system and two gigabytes for VRAM. If it's fine. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, so that's probably why they think it's enough. But And so let me say this, though. I think Sinua Sacrifice may be fine, too. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to be what? That doesn't What's need that game almost running? any RAM. Yeah, the, there's not much I mean, AI in that game. There's not much anything. So, so when it comes to Sinua Sacrifice or games that are walking simulators, I could see the Xbox Series X having 8K options. Yeah, I, see, yeah, I get what like you're saying. Like a 320-bit, 52 compute unit RDNA 2 card. Maybe even 8K with an unlocked frame rate. Yeah. But I don't know how an open world game can quite literally fit in that. Yeah, I don't know how they could. Hopefully they can. Maybe they'll be able to limit the size of the OS over time. Well, that's the thing a developer said to me is he's like, there's going to be some very real texture problems. Yeah, you like said even, that. And he said, even with BCPAC, by the way, fanboys. <laughs> like, he said, even with, he's like, that's only that's only there to mitigate an issue they created for themselves, which is they're going to have to swap in information constantly between the segments. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I think at least early on there won't be issues, but if PCs start adapting to them more closely to the model that the PS5 follows, I think later gen games are going to have issues, definitely. Well, especially if RDNA comes out with the same stuff the PS5 has. Yeah, that's what I mean. And then, of course, Ampere would follow or whatever, because like NVIDIA's not going to let... Yeah, they're not going to let AMD take over the market. <laughs> no, no, NVIDIA's not stupid. They got smart people there. I mean, I guess the only other thing I'll say is I did see some... I'm getting some leaks coming out about Horizon that there should be a demo shown in a month. When supposedly the polygon count on the main character is more than every character in the previous game combined. Which is crazy. That's that's like a PS2 massive. to PS3 leap. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's huge. Or, or do they mean character like NPCs or do they also mean everything? Robots? Every character, robot, everything. All those polygons yeah. combined, that's what's in the new character model. Yeah, so that's an insane leap in performance. It's a lot of work to make that too. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if that's even necessary, but it'll look yeah, good. Yeah, I don't know, but like, so I, I just want to throw that out there. Let, 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 that's a rumor, so let's leave it as that. Yeah. But if that's true, that's not the 10 teraflops allowing them to do that. No, it's not. No, it, it's the fact that they have to do half the draw calls or whatever that they used to have to. Yeah. Regardless, I'm excited to see it. Uh, Anything other than last-gen games running on the new consoles. Which is a big video I want to do soon. I want to do a video analyzing what the performance leap will be. Or Xbox to 360 polygon count increases and like looking at quotes of games back then and then comparing that to what we have now. So I don't think we'll have enough information for that video for a month or two, but I think we will. And I I suspect next-gen is going to be a PS2 to PS3 leap. Um, Hopefully. It seemed like earlier... Or closer to that than what we got last gen. It, it seemed like early numbers they were putting out would indicate not that not to be true, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I, I don't know if those numbers were accurate. Like them saying that the Xbox Series X is like, I think they said it was like twice as strong as the Xbox One X. Yeah, it doesn't sound know, right to me at all. <laughs> Microsoft has have been really weird with their quotes before. I remember on Jimmy Fallon, they said the Xbox One is three times stronger than the 360 and the audience practically booed. 
Yeah, and which, then, by the way, guys, for as weak as I think the Xbox One is, it was more than three times stronger. The yeah. processor alone, I think, was at least three times stronger, even though it was a weak tablet GPU. <laughs> and the graphics card was at least four to six times better than the 360. So I'm not sure where they got that three times quote. I, I, something I feel like that was a misquote yeah, and, or something. And, and the Series X is not twice as strong as the One X. Yeah, or, I'm not trying to say that. Or four times. Yeah. It's probably more like six times. Yeah, I, at I mean, least. At, at least looking at the raw numbers, that's what it looks like at least. I, I mean, mean, I'd say double the GPU IPC probably, and then double the teraflops. But then also... Significantly, I mean, the CPU is like eight times better. The CPU is better. Yeah, CPUs, it's harder to compare. I feel the like SSD is like a hundred times better. <laughs> the what do you mean than the 5400 yeah, RPM the, the, hard drive? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think it may have had a solid state hard drive actually. Yeah, okay. Right. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I know some models of the Xbox One did. So yeah, it's not twice as strong. I think the next gen leap is going to be bigger than last gen. I hope so, and it seems like it, it it has the potential to be, at least. So, but I think that's a fun note to close on. We will cover that in the future. A lot of interesting stuff coming. This is the stories we had for this. You know, uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is, do remember this is a podcast. You can listen to this while driving, gardening, <laughs> walking your dog. Uh, I mean, I, I listen to podcasts while playing other video games, like Warband. Right, I don't need to hear the sounds half the time. Yeah, and uh, we've been doing that a lot lately, listening to comedy bang bang while playing Warband on two our desktops near each other. Yeah, and so just remember that and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you if you like this, you know, support us on Patreon. Dan's a real boy now, so I'm a real boy. The scraps I throw him matter. Well, he becomes a grad student. Yeah, tries to become a big doctor boy. Big doctor boy. Any <laughs> any final words, Dan? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. 
If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, Gribbeth, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schof, Sadler Sadler, Richard Cohagon, Alethros, Tellos, Kaden Picknell, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exo. Tiwani Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Edward Huff, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewart, Harold P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, James Crasta, TSPCFS, Michael Costa, Andrew S. Yeah, I passed in total silent. Of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 